Well, hey there, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. I'm your host, Dylan Clark Moore, and today we're going to be talking about the movie Arrival, which unfortunately for the rest of our fans is currently only available to stream on Netflix in Canada. Today's episode of the Netflix podcast is brought to you in part by UnLondon's 121 Studios. That's London, Ontario's premier digital media hub and co-working space. Visit 121studios.ca for more information. The Netflix podcast is also a proud member of the Electric Streams podcast network. For more insights into streaming media like Netflix, Amazon, and HBO original series, subscribe to Electric Streams Media on your podcast platform of choice. Before we get into anything, I'd like to issue a couple of warnings. First of all, this conversation will absolutely contain spoilers for the movie Arrival. It is a spoilable movie, so be sure to watch it because it's awesome and because you're better off hearing all the twists and turns from the movie itself rather than hearing them from me. As well, some of the language, although not too much of it, may not be suitable for all listeners. Without further ado, let's get to the episode. I'm here today talking with the editor-in-chief at Get Real Movies. Welcome to Mr. Daniel Chadwick Shubat. How's it going, Daniel? Good. How are you? I am doing great. I'm so glad that we finally got a chance to do this. I know. I'm glad, too. The The fans have spoken. They have picked our movie, and I'm ready to do it. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, before we get into that, though, is there anything interesting you've been watching on Netflix recently that you want to tell us about? Um... Yeah, yeah, I've uh, I've been watching a lot of Netflix lately uh, in the evening. Just uh, it's the only way to relax after work. And um, I, I recently watched uh, Punch Drunk Love for the first time. Okay, which yeah, I uh, absolutely loved. I think PTA Paul Thomas Anderson is a is a master of filmmaking, and uh, this kind of reinforces that. And Adam Sandler can act. Like this gets me excited for the the Mayorowitz stories or something like that. I think yeah. it's the movie coming out with him and Ben Stiller and Dustin Hoffman. And people are saying Sandler's amazing in that. So I'm not surprised after seeing this role. Like, he was fantastic in it. And, yeah, it's uh, super frustrating seeing him do Adam Sandler movies when he's yeah. when you know what he can do when he's not doing those. I know. Like, I, I love funny people so much. Like, the movie Funny People, not, like, in general. I love <laughs> funny people. That's... Yeah, that's just a given, I think. Everyone loves funny people. Um, yeah, shameless plug that if anybody wants to hear me and Caroline talk more about Punch Drunk Love, we did cover it a few episodes back, so I'll be sure to link off to that. Yes, um, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you opening that door for me. Um, anything else of note, or uh, um, has that pretty much been the standout? Uh, well, that was the standout, but uh, last night I was uh, just flicking through movies, trying to figure out what to watch, and I saw something with Jack Nicholson, Reese Witherspoon, and Paul Rudd called How Do You Know? And okay. I thought it'd be more of a drama, but it turned out to be kind of a romantic comedy. Oh, no. So, okay. uh, yeah, that that was interesting. It, it wasn't half bad. Like, it was like a, you know, a fun kind of like, you know, stupid turn off your mind movie, but like, it's kind of fun to see Jack Nicholson act because, you know, even if it's not the best performance, he's still acting at least, and he's still on the screen, which we haven't seen in ages. So that right. was that was all right. That was fine. Nothing compared to Punch Drunk Love, though. Right on. Uh, as for me, on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, the only thing of note that I've really watched on Netflix because I ended up uh, after falling in love with RuPaul's Drag Race because they put season eight on Netflix. Uh, we've been just going back and watching all of that. So I've actually like spent money to watch a tv show it's been forever since i've done that but on netflix i did watch death note okay. which was dog shit <laughs> it's i've heard it's offensively bad and i think i mean i my wife and i were watching it together and so i had the experience of having watched the anime she had never seen anything from it and we both just like despised it so much <laughs> It's been it's been yeah, a while I've, since I've had that negative of a reaction to a movie. So 
Yeah, I've heard Nat Wolf's scream sounded like that goat from those uh, from those vines. From the screaming for goat videos, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, yeah, there were some choices that they made where they were like, okay, we're going to try to make it funny. And, I mean, comedy in horror can work usually if it's done to, like, offset horror. But if you're introducing the horror element and immediately doing the comedy bit, like, you don't even have a chance for the horror to really set in. No. And then all in all, they took this, like, really cool compelling story that mixes like fantasy elements with this kid who feels like he's you know too great for the world and uh, you know somebody who's got good intentions wrapped up in their own arrogance so like this really cool story and they just kind of made it almost the tone of like Riverdale but with the gore effects from Final Destination it was was really dumb (laughs) I'm upset that I watched it yeah no I've heard a lot of negative reactions about that I've I've avoided it because of that (laughs) do yeah like i wouldn't even recommend it as a hate watch it's just like, as a hate watch I, yeah. you do those <laughs> oh yeah absolutely i love like uh the like the asylum movies like the sharknados and oh, the transmorphers God. and that sort of bullshit oh man but uh but yeah this this is not that no let's let's turn this conversation around let's start talking about a better movie because okay. the movie that we're going to be here talking about this episode is from the year 2016 from director, fellow Canadian, Denis Villeneuve, Woo-hoo! we're going to be talking about Arrival. So we're going to introduce the movie the way that Netflix does. So first, when you hover over Arrival on Netflix, it says, she'll unlock secrets of extraterrestrial language, and their message could change her life forever. How do you feel about that? I, I think that is like the least, least uh, overwhelming synopsis of Arrival ever. <laughs> <laughs> all right well oh, let's see if let's see if the alternate description does any better so if you click on the title the synopsis changes to a linguist charged with finding a way to communicate with aliens that have landed on earth uncovers a connection with meaning for mankind and herself i guess those both are Much that's better. just somewhat uh, yeah but i mean it says the same thing it's like somebody ran it through google translate and then put it back google like translate sometimes helps i'm a student i know that <laughs> fair enough <laughs> All right, and the genres this movie belongs to, according to Netflix, are dramas, dramas based on books, sci-fi and fantasy, and alien sci-fi, and it is described as cerebral. Yes, so normally, cerebral. I normally I like to ask uh, my guest why they chose the movie that we're going to be talking about, but Daniel, my my brand new friend here, is too accommodating and he said i'll do whatever so we decided to put it to a vote and we talked about some some recent movies that have been added to netflix uh and we decided to put it to a vote between dr strange and arrival yes and arrival won by i think a two to one lead like it was it was pretty set i think it was 75 25 yep um in terms of uh, arrival winning so i mean did you vote yourself did you i did vote i did vote. what did you vote for I voted for Arrival. <laughs> oh, okay, right on. Yeah, um, I thought they were two good choices because they were two. They were my two like favorite science fiction movies of last year. And I know Doctor Strange is more magic than science fiction, but it's very cerebral. It's very, you know, kind of a psychedelic, and uh, th- th- that's why I put those two forward. But Arrival was. I think in my top five of last year, like it might change to my number one in years to come because the more I watch it, um, the more I love it. I'm trying to remember the recap episodes that you guys did because you ended up having to split it, right? Because there yes, were, we did. There's such strong opinions. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> so did did the other guys? Did they all? have a rival in their top 10 or were you kind of no, the only champion for that like uh, they they seem to like it but not as much as i did and i'm i'm a big fan of denis villeneuve um i i think most canadians are because he's just kind of like you know he's like one of those new directors and i guess he's not that new but he's new enough where you can call him new still and he just he just does all these different movies and different genres but he does so well with them and um yeah for me i it had to go in my top 10 like there was no way it was going anywhere close to the bottom of my top 10 um but the other guys weren't as like you know uh weren't as happy with it but they still really liked it i think right well that's why you're here and they're not because you clearly have better and also also i'm better than them at like talking so yeah (laughs) right right (laughs) okay so what do you love so much about this movie then 
like you you predicted that it might end up being your number one movie for the whole for all of 2016 so why is that well personally in my in my opinion i think this is one of the greatest sci-fis uh if not the greatest sci-fi of the 21st century um it's so well written um the movie is established so well and just the plot and everything. And I read the um, the sh- uh, short story that it was based on called Story of Your Life just before I saw it. And Story of Your Life was very interesting. But this movie completely expands on it. Completely, like, just makes it this, like, concept that is unbelievable. And there's, you know, not many times where you can say a movie is better than the book. Uh, but I think this one is like supremely better than the book. And that's saying something because the book was really, really interesting and really, really good to read. And for me, this just, you know, it starts and ends with the writing and then also the cinematography. Those two just just kind of make this movie. But then you add in the great directing, the f- like fantastic acting. You know, Amy Adams, I'm sorry, was just completely robbed. And I, God, I love Meryl Streep. Don't get me wrong. But she did not deserve an Oscar nomination over Amy Adams for Florence Foster Jenkins. Like, this movie, like, Amy Adams was perfection in it. Like, absolute perfection. Was it Ted Chang? Is that the uh, the author of the... Yeah, Ted Chang. Yeah, uh, that was the author of the story of your life, I think it was called. And that's what Arrival was originally called, but they changed the name to Arrival, which I think is a lot more fitting in a way. Right. I had read that Chang said that... Uh... He thought that this was a unique adaptation in that it's one that both accurately adapted the short story and also was a great movie in and of itself. So it's nice to get that support from the original author. Oh, yeah, 100%. And um, I think, you know, that's not something you often get. So when you do get it, it's uh, it's 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 pretty good for marketing wise. And uh, I mean, look at their box office. It did pretty well. You mentioned the nomination for oh amy adams didn't even get nominated oh no she didn't even get nominated that's why i I was so furious that night that the nominations came out like i was pretty happy with the academy award nominations of last year um and then and then uh, and then i saw best actress and i just lost my shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah the so it's nominated for eight awards and only one for best sound editing wow okay yeah i gotta say the sound in that movie um like uh, the like the only movie this year that's come like that probably beats it, but you know the only movie that's come close to arrival in terms of sound mixing and sound editing is uh, Dunkirk, and I think that's something that will definitely sweep the uh, awards with sound next year. But like Arrival, just like it was amazing how it like made these haptopod sounds and all that stuff. It was just really phenomenal. All right. Well, you brought up the the cinematography and the visuals of the thing, so that's pretty much right off the bat one of the most striking things about it um like the shell for instance the design of that ship is incredible because on the one hand it's this it's this like impossible shape that like your brain can't quite get a handle on like every time you're looking at it from a different angle it looks it looks like a different shape and you can't even even when you're looking at it fully head on Mm -hmm. you still can't quite register it like it kind of looks like is it an oval is it a seed it's kind of like towards the end it's like okay it's kind of a bean and then designing it to like having the texture of it when jeremy renner is like dragging his hand along and having it look like stone oh yeah and just it's so jarring and mystifying and that absolutely puts you in the right mood of of the movie of just the the total mystery of what's happening not knowing but thinking about how you react to that you know do you react with fear do you react with curiosity do you react with uh exploration right mm-hmm. no for sure and it's i think it's amazing like you got to give kudos to the visual effects people there uh but like bradford young the cinematographer like goodness gracious he made it look like it was there like the sun bouncing off of it like mm-hmm. just the shots were absolutely stunning and that one shot that almost starts the movie or is like you know when they first see the heptapod and you see the clouds kind of like looking like 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 huge waves coming towards you it's like wow i'm just like i was i was speechless it was some of the most beautiful cinematography of last year without a doubt mm-hmm. i loved with the heptapods that they uh it, it was similar to the shell in that everything gets teased like even when <laughs> 
even when Jeremy Renner and uh, Amy Adams are going in to the shell for the first time, they're asking, like, what are we going to see up there? And another character tells them, you'll see soon enough. And we're like, oh, I really need to see this. I know. And then even like the shell, even when you have a full view of them, you still don't really have a sense of them. Cause no, they're, you, you know, you're trying to you're trying to recognize them as squids or octopuses yeah but they don't quite fit that mold like again your brain isn't sure how to handle it yeah and And i also think it's interesting that when you know we do meet them and start learning more about them and you know when uh ian jeremy renner nicknames them out and costello you start feeling closer but you still don't know if you should trust them or not there's this real mystery about them that you can't like that you can't really unravel until probably the last like 20 30 minutes of the movie And the mystery of the movie is, at least for the first two-thirds of it, that's what really had me engaged. Like, it it does so many things so well. It gets great sci-fi in that there's this incredible creativity and imagination that's gone into the design of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Then there's also this terrific mystery of not knowing what it is that they're there for. And going along for the ride of exploring and finding out and doing science and experimentation to try to figure it out and then in the last third or even last quarter it becomes this totally human story and but it's not it's not disruptive like it all flows really well into each other that it doesn't seem like it's two different movies happening at the same time like they're interwoven enough all the way through that you don't feel like any of it is cheap or like it's too sudden of a turn i think that you talk about um you talk about like tension and stuff like that. I think that we got to bring up the music because that also adds to it like phenomenally. And I think like, I, I don't mean to, you know, to all your listeners, I don't mean to sound like I'm like jerking this movie off and saying it's like perfect. But for me, I just can't see much wrong with it. And I recently rewatched it again for this podcast. And just like I, I saw it, I think four times in theaters. And I'm just like, you know, not the movie hasn't made me feel that many emotions in a long time, you know, and mm-hmm. it's it's just it's really hard to find anything wrong with it. I know some people did because it wasn't perfect on Rotten Tomatoes and stuff, but I just I can't see it with the music. The one part that I noticed that I was kind of resentful, but the, now I'm also thinking that it was probably intentional Yeah, is when you're first hearing the heptapod language or I, I guess in the in the movie it's not suggested that it is really a language no um it's the, really they have a written language and then there's these vocalizations that they do that are not translatable no um although isn't it that in the story that it's like they have two separate languages one that's more like temporally linear and then they have their written one that is yeah i, I think it, that's that's what i seem to understand i wasn't 100 percent sure though because it wasn't really clear <laughs> Uh, well, regardless of that, the um, when you first hear the heptapods, what you're expecting is to hear this language again, and you're expecting to try to like decipher it. But there's also this music happening at the same time, mm-hmm. and so you're trying to tease out like what what of this is orchestration, and what is it? What of it is this alien sound that I'm supposed to be trying to decipher? Mm-hmm. Um, which I hated at first, but now I'm realizing, okay, well, you know, that's that's adding to that mystery, right? It's introducing sounds to you combined with so it's familiar sounds mixed with unfamiliar sounds and trying to recognize what's what mm-hmm. and really really feeding that mystery i know i've used the word mystery like eighteen thousand <laughs> times already in this conversation but <laughs> that's that's but, no, no, but, but I that was one of the most ex- movie yeah that was one of the most exciting things about this movie is coming into something and genuinely not knowing how it's going to go like there's there isn't really you don't get a sense that this movie is following a formula. You get no. the sense that it's a totally new situation that you as a viewer are seeing for the first time. Oh, yeah. And that's what I, I also love that I did go into this movie without knowing pretty much anything of what was happening. I just knew that there were aliens and that there were people involved. And that was it kind of a thing. And I, I got to say kudos to, you know, who put the trailer together because Hollywood trailers give away way too much these days. You know, just just talking about Marvel, like most movies, right? But this one, it just it just teased you, and it just it just further reinforced that this is a movie that you won't know what to expect. Anything you won't know what's going to happen, and when it does happen, you're going to still be processing it afterwards. And that's why I had to see it a couple times, just because I just 
I, I, I had to like, you know, take in different things and I'd be like, oh, on the second rewatch, I'd be like, oh, that makes sense because that happened, you know? And I think this is a movie that, you know, will will kind of live on in history and memory because it will be a movie that you can rewatch and a movie that you won't get tired of, at least in my opinion. It, just a couple other points about the visuals before we move on from that. Mm-hmm. I do want to point out, or I just want to call out and celebrate the... the um, you you mentioned how beautiful it is when you're first seeing the shell and like the how the whole thing is shot and I felt even stronger about the departure when the yeah. when the shell is taking off and going and again there's this otherness this strangeness to it it's beyond it's not just you know this thing lifting off and flying up into the sky it like dissipates into clouds and like again you can't quite follow it so there's this constant feeling of of amazement as you're watching it. You're just like, what the fuck just happened here? This is <laughs> incredible. Um, that being said, there were a couple of times that there was a disruption of the illusion and the immersion for me. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm just being shitty, but I mean, the risk of... There's a there's an inherent risk in doing a sci-fi heavy movie. Or, uh, sorry, yes. a special effects heavy movie in that if you see the strings, then it pulls you out of the illusion, right? Yeah. So there, there were a couple of times with that, like when, uh, when they were doing the the gravity flipping scene, mm-hmm. where they go up and then they they all jump onto, onto where the gravity changes. Yeah. Um, there were a couple moments in there where you could kind of see the faces superimposed into the spacesuits. Yeah. You know, that that gravity effect. So it was like, okay, I know I'm watching CGI right now, and I mean, when you're watching the heptapods you know it's cgi and that's fine because you don't have a yeah. reference point but when you're yeah. watching people and it's it it got into that uncanny sort of place and then oh, again I think, yeah and then again when amy or when louise i should use character names yeah. when louise is in the heptapod mist and her hair is all floating around and stuff i'll like, give you that I, one. I, I would, i'll give you i was that so one. distracted by the hair that i wasn't <laughs> caught up in the emotion i was like just put it in a bun or something like tie your hair like no, no. I don't know. If you're, if you're going to take on something as challenging as doing hair floating around like that, I mean, Tangled spent, what, like 10 years <laughs> working on getting the physics perfect for for Rapunzel's hair? Yeah. So like, I was like, come on, Rob. Like, I get what you're going for, but like, I have to, I have to watch this, and now I'm staring at it. I know. I'll give you that one. I um, For me, like when sometimes people use CGI too much, and I'm, you know, thinking specifically Rogue One, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, with uh, with Peter Cushing, um, and uh, I thought that was a little. It just takes away from the movie sometimes when they do it too much. So I will give you the hair one. Um, I, I will say I didn't notice the uh, when they you know did the gravity flip, but now that I'm thinking back, I could probably see it. So there's there's always going to be little little kind of you know nitpicks in a film uh, when it comes to visual effects because we still haven't mastered it fully and i think we're getting very mm. close though and that's that's the great thing is that 10 20 years ago we couldn't have imagined of doing something this this complex and then i look and the budget was under a 50 million and i'm like why is Are you serious yeah and i'm thinking why is uh why is you know star wars spending 200 million when this is a much better looking film for me uh and the cgi is much better as well <laughs> so um uh, yeah i just i just think that's i think that's really interesting wow 47 million i know i'm i was very surprised about that i just i couldn't believe it but it's i guess denis villeneuve knows how to you know use his money wisely yeah are you super excited for blade runner 2049 oh my gosh and then uh i heard that it's the longest blockbuster since interstellar and i know a lot of people gave interstellar hate but I feel like that's a movie that'll age well, uh, you know. Um, but uh, I, I'm, that's I'm just... another one that we've covered, and I, I disagree. I think that Interstellar is terrific. Okay, well, and who I, I can come fight me. Well, I agree with you there, but uh, I just think it's going to age super, super well. And you know, thirty years from now, people are going to be, you know, putting it up there with some of the greater sci-fi movies. But uh, I don't, I don't want to alienate some of your listeners because they might not agree with me there. <laughs> Yeah, but Blade Runner um, 2049, for sure. Too, super, super excited. Like, Denis Villeneuve, uh, Hans Zimmer, um, Roger Deakins. Like, 
that that team just behind the camera gets me excited and have you seen the 2036 nexus dawn the i haven't the, yet the I, prequel short i know i'm not sure if i want to watch it because supposedly jared leto's in it and um, <laughs> Do you have a problem with jared leto oh i i despise got, him as an actor I, I i've I, got bad news about 2049 then i i know yeah i know he's in it but i just i'm just hoping that like he's only in like 10 minutes of it and the rest of the movie's just gosling looking just crazy cool and then you know harrison <laughs> ford getting angry because he's in another sequel because <laughs> he's in a movie <laughs> because he's in a movie yeah he just doesn't seem like he enjoys going on movies anymore at least he doesn't enjoy doing the press he's just a grumpy old bastard but i guess i guess he could do that now because he's uh you know acted so long but um yeah i just i can't stand jared leto i uh just anything he's in it kind of turns me off yeah which is okay, bad so- <laughs> for 2049 <laughs> but i'm sorry yeah. all right so going back to arrival then a couple yeah, of sorry. things that i no no i'm the one who who branched off i uh, just gonna call it a couple other things that i liked uh one that it's uh it tried to be this like international success story. So even though they cast China as this sort of villain role, mm-hmm. um, there was that moment where when everybody's having their, their get together and their, their, their live stream with each other. And yeah. uh, I guess it was during, Oh yeah. It's during the montage in the middle where all of a sudden Jeremy Renner is narrating a documentary about their success so far. Yeah. Which was just kind of like, oh, okay, that's that's sort of a neat, a neat premise of just yeah. like having the character step out mm-hmm. completely, and, and like it, they really did. They they had him narrate a montage as if it was a documentary, so that was cool. And he, they did the shout out to the scientists in Pakistan for the work that they were doing, yeah, which I thought was pretty cool because a lot of the time, I mean, the one thing that I've seen people be disappointed in about Arrival is that it's not Independence Day, which is. A really Which is good in comparison. My <laughs> yeah. But I mean, movies like Independence Day or Armageddon, like a lot of the times it's about this international cooperation, but it's always like rah, rah America. And then yeah. like Independence Day, doesn't it end with like an African tribesman, like shaking a spear at the aliens as they fly away? Like this movie was at least respectful of the fact that there's science <laughs> that happens in other countries. And he's also um, smart. Like they're they're like they're this movie's also smart, which I don't think most like disaster movies are. And some people might be like, "Oh, well, that's not true." Independence Day was so smart, but like it's it those are more fun action movies, blockbusters. This is more cerebral. This is more you know this is more like you know kind of questioning our existence. Why are we here? What are we here for? And like it's I love movies that make me think, and this movie did that like fully and. I, I, I hate saying this because I you know so many people say this about so many movies these days, but if there's one movie that's relevant to our times, it's this film. And it this is the film that people should be looking at and saying, you know, maybe maybe we should be coming together and, you know, being, you know, uniting for good causes like, you know, exploration in space or or environmental protection or stuff like that, instead of you know, kind of just going against each other in, in every sort of way. And uh, I think if there's one movie that you could say is relevant to our times as a film that we should study and look for, look at for guidance, then I think Arrival, Arrival is one. So, yeah, I mean, there is this, yeah, this, this unifying message. Um, although the, the international cooperation does fall apart <laughs> when you yeah. know, the, it, it gets all fragmented and China yeah. decides to do their own thing. And then yeah. because of, national That's allegiances <laughs> russia and uh who was the other one? what was the other country that fell off with china because they had their oh their i can't cooperation. Remember. was it japan or i i, I i'm not i don't i don't know i think so but um i did want to say about china uh i'm a big fan of uh sima who played general shang and i did like his little i know it wasn't a big role but i did like his short role and it kind of like it was, uh, it was very interesting, and obviously he's part of this huge like plot twist kind of a thing, and uh, this a huge part of the movie. And uh, I, I really, I really liked his short but sweet role. Yeah, there was a cool thing with him that there was a person behind this. I mean, when when you see him on the screen and you see him in on the news and being reported on, he seems like this like distant authoritarian 
almost evil sort of guy that you're just like oh my god like we're like here in america we're having compassion for these aliens and we're you know we're we're trying our best to find a peaceful resolution and then when you're when you're feeding it or when you're consuming the information through a news broadcast you're really like othering this this chinese general and you're you know you're judging him for what he's doing you're like no 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 you're gonna gonna ruin everything but then when Louise meets him as a person and she's able to uh, engage with him on a really personal level, you know, uh, calling back to, was it the last words of his wife who died? Yeah, yeah, yeah his wife. Right. You know, there's this really personal thing that's able to change his whole perception of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it humanizes this figure that we've seen as this just foreign oppressive power up until then. For better or for worse, that's that's what the movie seems to do. At, speaking of the news, <laughs> something I thought the movie also did really well um, was how the movie itself uses language. Like, it's a movie that talks about language, so obviously they're more uh, thoughtful. I would think that they, w- they would be more thoughtful about how they use language yeah. in and of itself, and not just necessarily in a direct way, because language isn't just about... Like, if I communicate something to you you are not going to receive the exact information that I gave you or the exact information that I was trying to pass to you, Mm -hmm. right? You're going to, your brain and your experiences, just you're going to turn that into something else before you pass it along. That's the whole telephone game, right? Yeah. And language can also be used as as a tool in that it's not necessarily cleanly about, sorry, I'm trying to... No, I get what you're saying. Ironic. Um, that I'm trying to use language and failing to do so. But uh, like <laughs> Louise, for instance, when she uses the story about uh, the history of the word kangaroo, yeah, right. she's not actually communicating information to... What's Forrest Whitaker's character's name? Um, Colonel Weber, I think. She's not actually communicating real information to Weber. She's communicating a myth to Weber in order to get a point across to him. Yeah. Right? So a it's not of sort. exactly. Um, although she's presenting it as fact, so there's this whole yeah. other layer of of falsehood to it. Yeah. But she's yeah. I mean, she's lying to him with a story in order to get her point across to get what she wants. So it it shows that this expert of language understands the nuances of language, right? It's not just communicating your point and somebody else receives the point. It's how you do it. Yeah. And it's it's a tool really to be used. But it's also super messy. Yeah. And it it shows you how, how much is up to interpretation, right? So, for instance, the when the heptapods finally communicate, when they finally ask what they call the big question, why are you here? Mm-hmm. And what the heptapods actually say is they're there to offer weapon. That's the two words that they come back with, right? Yeah. Offer weapon. But did you catch how the how the news reported that? Yes, I did. And they showed it as like, you know... a a threatening act rather than what the heptapods actually meant, which was more yeah. a gift rather. Yeah. And I'm not trying to like catch you in missing a detail or anything, but did you see the words that they reported? No, I didn't. Cause it wasn't offer weapon. It was use weapon. Use weapon. Okay. Yeah. Bad. So, I mean, in this game of telephone from somebody <laughs> reporting what the, what the heptapods had said, it got changed and it got changed in this subtle way, which they talk about in the movie. Like, it's hard to know the difference between what the word weapon means and what the word tool means because they haven't been able to establish a distinction between those. Yeah. So then offer got interpreted as use and then it got reported as use on the news. Mm-hmm. And three linguists from McGill were consultants for the movie. And um, I think I think her name was Jessica Kuhn is what I was reading, uh, was uh, Amy Adams' like personal advisor on linguistics. So I think it's really interesting that they actually brought on linguistics professors and like asked them to like, you know, consult on the script and how the movie was being made. But I think like the the essence of this film is language and whether that's through, you know, the actual screenplay, but also the music. I feel like the music, you know, kind of um, spoke so much as well without saying anything. And that's they the music is kind of like the heptapods language where. You need to interpret it and, you know, figure out what exactly it means. And um, I, I, I just I think that when it comes to when it comes to language, it's it's languages are just so complex and so out there. And you have, you know, music, which is a language in itself. But then it's it's not a spoken language. It's a music. It's a language that you hear through your ears. But 
it, it doesn't it doesn't always kind of come through with a really straightforward meaning which uh, dialogue usually does but then there are mm-hmm. different interpretations so um right and i mean what the movie also points out or what i keep saying the movie what arrival takes pains to point out is that there are real repercussions to misinformation and to communication going wrong because we see the there are people who are on the ground in front of the shell like the soldiers i think the one guy's a captain and they're watching the news right they're sitting there watching all this stuff happen they probably have access to most of what's going on close to them although not necessarily but what they're actually learning about this shell is being filtered through a news broadcast and from what they're hearing on the news broadcast that's when they decide to go rogue and that's when they decide they're going to blow up the shell or they're going to try to so you go from these (laughs) scientists who are in there communicating then that information gets passed along to somebody. Somebody else passes it through a news broadcast. Then the news broadcast feeds people who are actually on site. And even though they're right next to the original source, they're still getting the wrong information. Like that's how easily things can be misinterpreted and things can be mutated. And then based on that, these guys become, I don't want to say militarized because they're already military, but like they take extreme action even though they're right next to the right information that if they had had if the, if they had had access to they probably would have acted differently like it's it's crazy how screwed up things got within this bubble oh, all yeah. because of how it got misinterpreted oh yeah 100% it just um and that's this movie is that you know you have to face problems and you have to look at different ways of you know um fixing them and um bringing solutions and that's that's what this movie was. It was one big problem that people were trying to find one big solution to when it was actually a bunch of little solutions that you needed to go mm-hmm. step by step and, you know, first do this and then do that. And finally, you know, the pieces of the jigsaw come together. And I, yeah. I, I, I did I did love that. It just kind of and it, it wasn't, you know, that's the thing I also loved about this movie. It wasn't a Hollywood ending where everything ended perfectly. There was still so much sorry to say it again, mystery. Um, and, um, and so it's fine. Much. You've got at least like 12 more before you catch up to me. Ah, okay, cool, cool. Um, but, uh, I think there was so much, you know, so many questions that you had to ask, but also there was also a certain sadness, but also happiness. Like it was just all those emotions again. And I got to say, you know, they use, um, Max Richter's piece on the nature of daylight, which is one of my favorite classical pieces out there. Uh, it's deeply depressing, <laughs> but um, when I'm feeling sad, it is some. It is often the song I listen to. Um, but like that song is like just kind of it. It kind of encompasses the movie. It it's it speaks for the movie without saying a word. And I um, like I I I I was sad that it uh, the the music the soundtrack the score sorry couldn't be selected as an Academy Award for original score because uh, they use Max Richter's work but it wouldn't have it I feel like it wouldn't have been the same without his work so I was glad they did is is that what disqualified yeah it? they disqualified From... it um, the um, the rationale was that like the voters would be influenced by Max Richter's work which is amazing. Uh, because that was written before and used, I think it might have been used in another movie before or something like that. So they say that the voters would have like likely picked it, and they didn't want pre-existing music, you know, uh, kind of helping with the merits of the score. Even though I think it was still one of the better scores out there. Obviously, La La Land, you know, La La Land and Arrival were my two picks at least. So, right. So just to catch me up, because I'm apparently dumb. Um, <laughs> w- when was it that that music was used? It was the one that opened the film and closed the film. Yeah, so it oh, was like when that. she's like it was that that kind of like the really sad score as we see like the montage of you know what their life is going to be like kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. So it's, okay. it it opened and closed the movie. So I guess that's why it was rejected. Um, there's one more point I want to make about language before we move on to the ending. Yeah. Which is just. Yeah, I, oh, I have things to say about the ending for sure. Don't start <laughs> me again, right? man. Are you like emotionally? Are oh, you God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting ready, man. I'm getting ready. Yeah. Okay, so there's one little trick of language that I really liked, that I really liked in this movie that I 
yeah, I, I guess I'm gonna ask you a question to trap you, and then I'll, Uh-oh. and then I'll, because uh, <laughs> apparently I'm feeling antagonistic. Um, so early on, when the haptopods first, or when the shell first shows up, and nobody knows what the hell is going on, everybody's consuming all of this news information. Uh, it's all being reported, and I've already talked a little bit about you know the the danger of processing things through news. But uh, do you remember early on, Louise is talking to her mom yes. on the phone? Mm-hmm. And her mom, I mean, we don't know for sure exactly what she said, but her mom says, well, I saw on I saw on the news that uh, you assume they say something dangerous or something harmful. And then Louise responds by saying, well, what have I told you about watching that? Those people are idiots. <laughs> so what did your brain fill in for that? Like, what news network did you picture or did you have one come to mind when they said when she said that? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I don't know if I should say it or not. <laughs> okay, um, no, no, but, I'm kidding. Okay, um, so, I did, I did, I did have a news network that I thought of immediately. Right. So you had a news network that you thought of immediately, and I had a news network that I thought of immediately when I heard that. But mm-hmm. the movie doesn't tell you what no. news network that is, right? No. So I think it's a this incredible trick that without saying anything and without politicizing itself. Everybody watching that movie either pictured CNN or Fox News, right? Yes, of course. 100%. Yeah. But the movie doesn't tell you which one it is. They just say that news network are idiots. And then your brain fills in the story and your brain politicizes Louise for you. Yeah. Which I thought was this, I, I like I said, it's a trick, but it's this incredible little moment where language is used or specifically not used and invites you to fill in your own blanks. I know, and that's. I thought that was. Yeah, and that's the great thing about this movie is I feel like it's a movie that everyone can like because these days a lot of people are making movies that are very divisive and that will, you know, one side will hate and the other side will love. And that's sad that we've come to that spot where like people can't watch movies and just kind of look at them where their own merits and not politicize everything. But this movie, it was a movie that like anyone could watch and, and love. And I think that, you know, that obviously we're in Canada, you and I, so we're, you know, a little more, um, I think lucky considering that our pol like our politics were not as extreme right or left as let's say, you know, the Democrats and Republicans are, but like, uh, for, for me, this is a movie that could, you know, be loved by conservatives, by, by liberals, by NDP, by anyone kind of a thing. All right, now that we've taken that little break, let's talk about the, the end of the movie. So when I say the end of the movie, I pretty much mean from the the reveal yes. of, uh, of I guess, the twist. It seems cheap to call it a twist, but it really yeah. it really is. It's it just is. an artsy oh, twist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so I think I already, I already issued a warning about spoilers for the movie, and hopefully everybody's seen it. Uh, if you haven't yet, pause this, go watch it. It's on Netflix and uh and come back um but i mentioned that it turns into this really personal story at the end where by way of this really neat sci-fi convention where by louise learning the language of the heptapods and really internalizing it she gains a full view of time mm-hmm. uh, like it, it changes how her brain operates and it, it changes how she's able to perceive the world up to and including time yeah um and from that she finds out that or we find out <laughs> that the uh, the flashes of this memory of a daughter that she had um, are actually not from the past. They're from the future. And so she has to confront the fact that she's now aware of the fact that in the future she is going to have a daughter. She The daughter is going to get sick. She's going to lose her husband. And the daughter is going to die. Um, so from that, this this tragic past that we have flips and becomes this tragic future that we navigate with louise how she's gonna how she's gonna deal with that mm-hmm. um so how do you feel about the ending in general where do you land on that like do you judge louise do you sympathize with her is it a bit of both no i i i sympathize with her um it's hard um like what does she do does she either you know reject the future or does she enjoy the time that she can enjoy? And like, there was obviously, um, there was obviously uh, unspoken love and chemistry between um, between Louise and Ian, um, Jeremy Renner and Amy Adams's character. And you know, a lot of people are, were 
are like, you know, oh, you don't you hate when people, you know, fall in love. But this is like one of those times where it made complete sense and they've been through so much together and and they're both extremely attractive human beings. Um, but uh, <laughs> but I just think that, you know, I think it's also, you know, where you're supposed to live life and doesn't matter, you know, what's going to happen. You, you got to you got to live it the best way you can. And I just I. I, I totally understand her like thinking behind it and her thought process. It would just be the most the one of the toughest things, you know, to do, but it's better to have loved and lost than to never loved at all is um I think is a great quote that you can use there and uh I think that that this movie kind of was the embodiment of that and um and it it was it was heartbreaking, but it was also heartwarming at the same mm-hmm. time it was a really weird sensation for me at least <laughs> yeah i appreciated that arrival spent so much time in that final sequence like that final montage of her oh yeah uh with hannah and and going through all of that um like it it i don't want to say it drags i think that it is longer than it could have been but it's for the, it gives you a bit more time to process exactly what's going on instead of having that happen while the credits are rolling. Like you're still in it. Cause I felt myself go through a real range of emotions because at first I wanted to judge her. I wanted to be like you, like how selfish are you that you would put Ian through this, that you would put Hannah through this, yeah. you know, that you would knowingly embrace all of this suffering, but then you have, it gives you the time to, understand more right it gives you the time to realize that you're to at least ask yourself it could it be that she can't change it right like have there been has she played around with this to figure out whether or not she can change the future like this seems like this is the kind of time travel sort of thing where it's just like this is just what's going to happen and you can't really do anything about it yeah it's we don't know whether she could or whether she couldn't no and then by the end i came around to deciding that even if she could change it, what you're asking her to choose, like, you know, you said yourself, like, it's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved. But it's also like, if she did have the chance to change that, uh, not to turn this into like an abortion analogy or anything, but, no, you know, ha- with her having seen the scope of Hannah's life and what she was able to do in her life, you know, would she have been right to prevent that life from ever happening, knowing that it comes to a tragic end after about 20 years? You know, so mm-hmm. it's not just about, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it's tough. deeply I mean, philosophical. Like, I think it's, it's, it, it, it makes you think and consider all these other options. And I'm, I'm one of those people who's like, you know, if I had cancer and I had a terminal illness and, and, uh, I had the option to do, you know, um, assisted suicide or something like that, like it would be such a tough, tough choice. But, you know, it's, it's just, it's, there's so many other things there's so many other points to it but i think like you kind of live the life and you're gonna you're gonna die no matter what it's just it's just when you die kind of a thing so it's just it's just making the most of it and i think louise knew that her daughter was gonna do stuff and she was still gonna have a life even if she was sick and Mm -hmm. i still i think i think you know she she did make the right choice even though she knew their fates and knew what was going to happen and you know saw into the future but i think she still did make that right that right choice yeah. by you know still living that life and and you know and and like i said you know loving loving having having experienced love true love mm-hmm. and there's no greater love between uh, you know a father or, or a mother and their children and i think that you know this movie kind of it, once again encompasses that exactly and it does give you that extra wrinkle too of uh like we're we're seeing the beginning of this relationship while also knowing that it ends and seeing her choose to embrace that and even knowing that it's not even like he doesn't like he ends up leaving because of the complexity of feelings that he's having Mm -hmm. right like we assume that he's mad because Louise reveals what's going to happen. And he reveals what's going to happen. I mean, she reveals to him what's going to happen after Hannah's born. Yeah. Right? Like he, so, yeah. I mean, also it, 
raised some more questions about like what Louise has been willing to reveal to people and what she's been willing to share with the world about what it's like to perceive time in the way that she does now. Yeah. Like it's all it's all deeply complex and frankly by the time the movie was over I was just relieved that I was like okay I don't have to feel these things anymore it's just a movie. <laughs> yeah. And I got to kind of like detox from the from the ride of thinking about and feeling those feelings. I know and it's it's a movie that I could like right now I could go home and watch or go home and watch again and I think that that I do I do love that about it and oh, man it's just oh. Yeah, it's 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 incredibly it's an incredibly tough movie to watch, but I think it's it's so rewarding to watch it as well. Um mm-hmm. and I think that the ending just it's 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 I don't know what else I would, I I I wouldn't change a thing in that ending honestly. And I the only moral question I have is, you know, should she have told Jeremy Renner's character uh Ian earlier? That's the only moral right. question for me at least is should she have well, told it- him before they got together? And it's even, she's the only one who's seen the missing gaps that we don't see. Mm -hmm. And she's the only one who knows whether or not she actually has the ability to change anything. So it could just be that she's along for the ride and she knows the mistakes that she's going to make, whether or not they are mistakes. And she's going through those and she watches herself do things that she wouldn't, that maybe she wishes she could have done differently. But yeah, we don't know if, if there was a possibility of changing anything. And then even if she could change something, we don't know if, like, if she had told Ian earlier, it's possible that Hannah wouldn't have been born at all, mm-hmm. which was ultimately what Louise wanted, right? That's, mm-hmm. right? Like, the, the first shot of the movie is Louise and Hannah. Like, it's about their relationship way more than it's about Louise and Ian's. He's just kind of a sperm donor, really, to get to the, I mean, granted, I'm sure they have, you know, a very happy relationship, but in terms of the ultimate fate that she wants to embrace, he's kind of a means to get there. Mm-hmm. So I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know. And I mean, he's the one who ends up leaving. So maybe he kind of gives up the right to, cho- it's very confusing because of all the time wackiness. I know. Uh, <laughs> I hate not knowing, but it's, it's, I, I, it's also good, I guess too. It's just, Oh man. Whew. Yeah, and that's why I said I was I was relieved when it was over, so I could stop thinking about it. Yeah, no, no, and now I'm you're making fairly me rethink confident. about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm fairly confident that I'm not going to have to deal with any time travel issues in my life. So no, not in our lifetime. I don't think you know, probably in our grandchildren's lifetime. <laughs> hey, we'll we'll see. We'll see. No, but um, yeah, oh, man, um, yeah, like there's not much more to say for me. At least it's just kind of like this movie, kind of. Man, I like you said, uh, this movie's about language, and I'm struggling to, you know, bring up the words. But um, well, that's why these people are professionals, and we're yes, just they a are. couple of jackoffs talking. Talk about the movie. There you go. Shit, man. But um, I just think when it comes to Arrival, uh, twenty years down the line, I think it will be rivaling. Haha. Um, yeah. Close Encounters of a Third Kind. 2001 a space odyssey i think it'll be named in the same sort of the the pantheon of great sci-fi yeah i think this i think this is definitely part of that this uh this and uh interstellar are my my two favorite sci-fis of the 21st century maybe ever Mm -hmm. so and this especially just just stays in my mind I, i i think about it still quite a bit even though i you know before a couple days ago i hadn't seen it in you know probably six seven months so it was actually my first time seeing it. Wow. Okay. That's yeah. uh you uh well I got to see it in theater. I got to see it in IMAX one time. That was an experience, man. Oh, I can't even imagine. Oh god. Yeah, that's my dirty secret is that I actually am very poorly Yeah, I haven't seen many movies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see them very often. I don't have time, but when I do, damn it, I make it count. And then I watch Death Note cuz I hate myself. Yeah. All right, man. So let's wrap this up the same way that we always do. Uh, so I want you to give me your rating and your MVP. So on your own Netflix profile, does this get a thumbs up or a thumbs down? And then who's your MVP from the movie, either in front of or behind the camera? Okay. Um, well, unless people are completely clueless of what I've said so far, this definitely gets a <laughs> thumbs up for me. <laughs> um, and uh, MVP for me has got to be... Um, can I do two? Because I, I can't pick between both of them. Is that okay? Can I have one behind there, there and are, one no, in front? There are, 
there are no rules. There are no rules. Somebody, Boom. I had somebody pick a house once, so it's fine. <laughs> like, do what you, do what you want. <laughs> okay, uh, for me, in front of the camera, the MVP is Amy Adams. Her emotion, emotional range is amazing. Um, she is just. It, it was an atrocity that she she wasn't nominated. She should have won, and she wasn't even bloody nominated. Like, what the fuck is that? That was like that was just completely frustrating for me. So frustrating. Um, and then uh, MVP behind the camera was Bradford Young. I have so much respect for Denis Villeneuve. He's amazing. But Bradford Young, who is, you know, has done a couple movies, but not like, you know, not a lot. He's still a relative newcomer compared to a lot of the uh, people who were nominated with him last year. He did a phenomenal job, an absolutely phenomenal job. And the visuals spoke just as much as the words in this film and the music as well. Um, I just think this is that perfectly balanced film that you know I, I you don't get very often, and when you do, you got to hold on to it. So that that that's a big thumbs up for me. Okay, uh, so for me, I always have a hard time picking behind the camera stuff just because I'm a tech scrub and I don't actually really understand what most of these people do. Yeah. So for me, it's thumbs up and Amy Adams as well. Nice. Uh, just so believable as a, I mean, if you talk about like scientists and movies. Like, or I guess she's not even really a scientist. She's a linguist. But I mean, so often in movies, it's just kind of like, you are an architect or you are a this or that. But she seemed to really understand what it meant to, to be a linguist. Uh, yeah. But like a, like a top notch linguist. I don't know any like real linguists. Yeah. Uh, but she cared, and, I think, too. Yeah, there was this like real conviction that she actually knows what she's talking about. And there was this really complex relationship that she had with her daughter where, I mean, fuck, the fact that, okay, so when you're watching it, when you're watching Arrival for the first time, you're thinking that when she's really struggling with, you know, you see like flashes of Hannah Mm -hmm. and then Amy Adams is really struggling with that. When you're first watching it, you're just like, okay, this is a grieving mother who's just having a really hard time and she's still... Like, we don't know how recently this perceived thing happened, right? Mm-hmm. So this seems like this really fresh new thing. Um, so, we, yeah, I mean, we see her as a grieving mother. And then once the later stuff happens, we realize that, yes, she's a grieving mother, but that's like 10% of it. She's also experiencing these, like, vivid hallucinations of a girl that she doesn't know. And somehow her performance does both of those at the same time. Like, you can read it both ways. Oh, yeah knowing what you know or not knowing it like it's it's just a yeah absolutely true just out of interest i gotta ask when did you know that uh, she was seeing into the future was it not until they explained it or was it at a specific moment that you figured it out um i think it was when she said who's that little girl like that was probably it like it was when you're when the movie tells you (laughs) i didn't uh i didn't guess early or anything like that no um did you find that you Kind of had an inkling of... I had an inkling of something, like, I didn't know. Like, there's no way I would have known. Like, I'm, I'm smart, but not that smart. But, uh, <laughs> but um, no, I, I, I didn't know until it was explained. But once I saw the second and the third and the fourth, I just kept noticing little, like, little, little hints that really kind of made you say, like, oh, how did I not see that? <laughs> yeah. So. Well, and they introduce the concept of time early on. Right, mm-hmm. that that you know, language is limited by time, and that it kind of just like captures a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it hadn't occurred to me that that was going to be a big part of a reveal. I thought it was just kind of uh, a fascinating sci-fi thing to think about in the back of your mind. I didn't realize how integral to the overall plot it was going to be. So, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it was it was there enough to still be interesting, but it wasn't beating you over the head that there's a twist coming. There's a twist coming. Yeah, no, it wasn't, and I did like that, yeah. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, no, thank um, you for inviting me. I'm, uh, Yeah, I'm really happy I got to come on. Um, yeah, actually, you asked, so <laughs> thank, you for, thank you for asking. No worries. Um, just in case anybody doesn't know, can you tell me a bit more, or can you tell us a bit more about Get Real Movies and what it is that you do and uh, what this whole project encompasses? Yeah, so Get Real Movies is a site and podcast that I started uh, last year in February, Um for me, first, it was just something that I could do, you know, because I love movies. And I had run a site for a year before that with a friend called A Tale of Two Dans, and uh, that had done really well. But I got into podcasting uh, late in 2015, and I wanted to do something like that. 
So Get Real Movies was originally just going to be a podcast, but then I started as a site and the whole kind of idea behind it was I want millennials to have a voice. And I feel like millennials are cast aside when it comes to movie reviews too much. I feel that the review game out there is too many old uh, men and too many, you know, just kind of people who are just like stuck in their ways and they're never going to see things differently. And also reviewing in itself has just become this sort of very critical thing where if a movie is bad, you will never say anything good about it, even if it does have something really good. Um, so first it was just me, and then uh, we started getting more writers, and then I added a co-host as well to my podcast. And we have writers on our site that are 14, 15, and 16. Um, we have writers like in England, in America, like all over kind of a thing. Um, and uh, it just turned into this big project, and we're doing you know decently well now, and getting to go to film festivals and stuff like that and the podcast is um, changing quite a bit where it's going to be more focusing on limited releases and smaller movies that people you know the the mainstream audience might not know about but they should know about and uh, and uh, yeah so it's, it's all about just millennials looking at film and kind of giving our opinion and showing that we're not just a bunch of dumb people who sit on Netflix watching stupid like films that you know have no sort of thinking required and uh that they're, you know, that they're also millennials who do love old films and do love, you know, French foreign language films and who do love silent films, contrary to what a lot of articles lately have been saying. And uh, I, I, that was that was just, you know, uh, millennial empowerment, haha. But uh, <laughs> but like that's literally what what my whole project, Get Real Movies, is about. Is just kind right. of giving a voice to the young people who people kind of cast aside and don't think are really smart enough to be in film criticism. So that's one industry that millennials aren't killing is, uh, is amateur film crit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. Right on. Yeah. Uh, so where can people find you and, uh, and get real? Okay. So they can find us. Uh, if you just type get real movies in Google, uh, G E T R double E L M O V I E S. Uh, you can find us, but we're also on Facebook and Twitter at get real movies, real spelled with a double E. And uh, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, all those podcast uh, sites, also Google Play. And uh, soon we'll uh, be getting back up. We've uh, taken a bit of a hiatus, just trying to figure out what's the best way to go with the podcast. But we should be coming back uh, late September. All right. I can't wait to check it out. Thank you. And thank you for uh, having me on. I will, uh, I will return the favor once we're up and uh, running again. Oh, perfect. I'm not too much of a, a grumpy old man. I am no, I'm technically a millennial, a so hopefully man. I... <laughs> oh, man. All right. Perfect. Well, thanks again so much, Dan. No worries. Thank you. That's everything for this episode from the Netflix podcast. If you liked what you heard today, head on over to netflix.ca to check out the rest of the Netflix content like show notes, articles, and reviews. The kinds of things you can find in the show notes, for instance, from today's episode are links to the website and social media presence of our guest, Daniel Chadwick Schubat on Twitter, as well as his site, Twitter, and Facebook. You can find links there if you weren't paying attention before. And don't feel like rewinding. You can also find some links off to some other podcasts. First of all, we did talk a little bit about the rundown that Get Real Movies gave on their podcast about the top 10 movies from 2016. Uh, So I've linked off to those. As well, I am shamelessly linking off to three Netflix episodes. First of all, episode 38, where I talked about Armageddon with my dad, David L. Clark. Uh, If you feel like checking out an astronomer talking about the science of Armageddon. Spoiler alert, there's not much. Then we link off to episode 43, which is about Interstellar with my friend Edward Platero, where we both express our love for it and are very confused by people not liking it. And we've got episode number 56, which was Punch Drunk Love with my co-host Caroline Deason. So feel free to check that out as well. The links are right there in the show notes. Also linked off to Netflix and Amazon links for all of the other movies that we mentioned, like Armageddon, Death Note, Dunkirk, Florence Foster Jenkins, Gravity, How Do You Know, Independence Day, Interstellar, Punch Drunk Love, and Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. You can find Netflix on all sorts of social media platforms. Really just two, but we'll make it sound fancier than that. We're on Facebook as Netflix, on Twitter at NetflixPod, where you can find me at Dylan Clark Moore. 
and we're on SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. You can also follow me on Letterboxd as Dylan Clark Moore if you want to follow along and see just how few movies I actually watch. If you'd like to support the show, there are a few ways that you can do so. One of those is by heading over to iTunes, Google Play, or whichever podcast platform you use and subscribing so that each new episode comes straight to you. While you're there, you could also drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. Even more importantly, you can tell people about what we're doing here. Hey, do you like podcasts? Do you like movies? Do you like Netflix? I don't really know how the rest of that conversation would go. But if there's any way to casually sneak it into conversation, I certainly appreciate it. If you're feeling like even that's not enough, you can contribute directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign. Whether it's for the rewards or just to see us keep doing what we're doing, you can pledge monthly support over at patreon.com. Or if that sounds too complicated to do, you can click support Netflix at the top of netflix.ca. The Netflix podcast is produced and edited by me, Dylan Clark Moore, and the theme music, both at the beginning and that I'm talking over right now, was provided by Zach Moore. Thank you ever so much, very sincerely, and I'm not really sure however else to say that, but I really do want to thank you for checking out this episode of the Netflix podcast, and I want to enjoy... Enjoy? No. And I want to invite... Oh, Jesus. And I'd like to... This is what happens when I go off script, people. And I'd like to invite you to join me here next time for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet.